All men die, few really live. If we as men can look at the cross and really square with the reality of our death and, and inevitability of it, and then seek something which actually transcends death and we need to have a purpose, um, we have something worth dying for basically that, we, that makes us live, get, get out of bed every morning, then ultimately we, that will help us reclaim a sense of our masculinity, I think, because at the heart of the, the masculine vocation is that call to, to sacrifice for something greater than oneself. You're listening to The Myth Pilgrim, and I am Brother Lawrence of the Missionaries of God's Love. At its heart, the spiritual journey is a delightful and perilous adventure, just like the myths and fairy tales we love. This podcast is also a journey, learning from both wizards and saints, enchanted princesses and inner demons. Together, we'll discover how the great symbols of myth and fairy tale can guide us on our journey to God. Hello, dear friends. Uh, welcome to this, um, yeah, with a special episode of the Myth Pilgrim, um, digging into a classic, a, a sort of a Hollywood classic from 1996. It was actually the Academy Award winner of that year, uh, Mel Gibson's Braveheart. And to explore this, um, I guess, this timeless story, I have with me a very dear brother in the Missionaries of God's Love, um, Brother James. So welcome to the podcast, Brother James. Thanks, Lawrence. <laughs> uh, Honoured to be on your show. Cool. So do you want to tell us a bit about yourself, James? Yes. So I'm in my third year with the Missionaries of God's Love. I'm 23 years old and I'm trained to be a Catholic priest. And uh, when I'm not studying, I enjoy watching rugby. I used to love playing rugby, um, lifting weights, reading and going out into the wilderness. Very effeminate man, James. <laughs> He's not big and intimidating at all. <laughs> so uh, uh, there's a particular honour for me to have you on the show for this episode because I happen to know you have a real, real love for this film, this, this Braveheart. I mean, you're, I, even after you told me, um, I didn't realise your Google avatar was actually the picture of William Wallace. So um, yes. yeah, this film has something going for you. Yeah, um, I think it speaks very powerfully to me as a story of what it means to be a man particularly and also uh, something very profound in Wallace's imitating of Christ he's, he's almost a Christological kind of figure and so yeah so that speaks to me on another level as a, a Christian as well. Mm. Are you happy to give us a bit of a summary of the story of Braveheart? <laughs> so the protagonist of the story is a man named William Wallace and he's set in 13th century Scotland and the context of that time is that Edward the Longshanks who's the King of England has taken over Scotland and Wallace is a young man his father dies in a rebellion uh, against this vicious tyrant and so Wallace is subsequently raised by his uncle Argyle away from his hometown after his father's death and then he comes back as a as an older man or as a still a young man but mature man now and then he falls in love with the beautiful young woman named Murren, whom he then decides to marry in secret, um, deciding to do so in secret because there's a uh, law called Prima Noctis, which basically granted the lords of that time um, sexual rights to brides on the night of their wedding. 
And so Wallace was unwilling to, for his wife to undergo this. Anyway, uh, a few, a short time after they're married, his wife, Murren, is there's an attempted rape on her by English soldiers and in coming to her aid, he sets her free, but she's ultimately caught and then executed. And so as a result, Wallace decides to then take vengeance and, and murders all the, the soldiers in the town and executes the man who killed his wife. And then this leads to a rebellion um, by the Scotsmen join him and ultimately culminates in the, the Battle of Stirling where the underdog Scots defeat the English forces in the iconic scene with the, the freedom speech. And at this point, Scotland is then independent, but the nobles can't decide who's going to be the king. So Wallace decides to go and invade England and takes the city of York, at which point this attracts the attention of King Edward, who sends his the wife of his son, French Princess Isabel, who then goes and and speaks to Wallace and offering him tr a truce on behalf of the king but unbeknownst to her at the time Longshanks had no intention whatsoever of keeping that and had launched an ambush on Scotland Princess Isabel catches wind of this and then eventually tells Wallace who falls back to Scotland to, to put up resistance um, but only two of the nobles would join him Mornay and Lachlan who then end up actually betraying him at the Battle of Falkirk and you're leaving him and his men to die, basically. But Wallace doesn't die, um, and in the process of the battle, he realizes that the man he'd hoped would take the king, the kingship of Scotland, Robert the Bruce, had actually also betrayed him as well. And so after this, he uh, does what any man would do in those circumstances, I guess, and kills Mornay and Lachlan, and then Princess Isabel continues to be of great assistance to him, and was infatuated with him. And then uh, eventually he realizes that his only choice of, the only option really for winning freedom for Scotland is to negotiate with the nobles. So he is drawn to Edinburgh under the pretenses of seeking a way forward for Scottish freedom, but is then betrayed by the nobles, this time against Robert the Bruce's will, and is then taken to London where he's tried for high treason, hung, drawn and quartered in a glorious scene and then subsequently, as a postscript, we hear that Robert the Bruce has then leads the Scottish to freedom in a, in a battle some years after Wallace's death. And so this loosely sort of mirrors the historical story of an actual, about an actual man called William Wallace. So um, those of us who've seen Braveheart would, there'd be many scenes and moments that um, I guess uh, are quite famous in, in cinema sort of history and yet some people like I know when my family first saw it they just saw it as bloody and you know very brutish um, you know loosely historical um, glorified revenge you know but it seems as though this story has spoken not just to yourself but to our culture in such a way mm. that it's it's quite a classic and it's it's often referred to in a lot of books about the masculine journey and the masculine spirit so is there what is it about the film that speaks so much to your your own journey? The important thing to appreciate is something I, the, that the screenwriter Randall Wallace, who actually wrote the story in, in about, um, who's, well, he was inspired to write the story by investigating his own history. He said that you know he doesn't write war movies; he writes love stories, 
and that that is actually the deeper narrative. I mean, a lot of people can get caught at the, the gore and the violence, but there's actually a story of profound love. And I think for men, the, the way that we love is by protecting and sacrificing, and most particularly in, in battle. Um, that is at, right at the heart of the masculine vocation is to fight, um, to make the world safe for those we love. Um, and that's across all animal species, really. That, that's what distinguishes the masculine sex is that we are called to protect. And it's a love story because Wallace is basically seeking the re his whole impetus for the, the journey is to make the world Scotland safe. So what happened to his bride, Murren, never happens to any other woman. And so he's profoundly motivated by love. And that is, yeah, some, a, a strong theme throughout the story. When I was watching it again recently, something that struck me also about the masculine journey was this idea of initiation, that boys don't just automatically become men, that it needs to be a process of initiation by uh, either an older man, a father figure, or a bunch of men that kind of moves the child away from the safety security of um, the maternal domain into the, the outer world, so to speak. And, and um, my instinct was um, Braveheart tapped into this, this idea of initiation in a couple of ways, or in some ways failed initiation for some of the characters. I don't know if any of that um, stood out to you or you saw any of that in, in your recent screening. Sure, I think what struck me was that one that Wallace basically, he receives the blessing of his father, but then he has to go out by himself um, with his uncle and then basically learn what it is to be a man. Um, by educating the mind and then when he comes back to town he's seeking to approach Murren but Hamish comes and stands in his way and challenges him to a rock throwing contest and there's a real sense in which yeah masculinity really is something that it needs you need to be initiated into it you don't just become a man um, it's a process where you have to dem and typically it's you have to demonstrate your courage, your strength, um, in order to be, be deemed a man, basically. And then I guess on the, on the, on the other side of the coin is you see um, King Edward's son, who's basically, he's never becomes a man because he lives in luxury the whole life in the palace and, and doesn't have to even go out and find his own wife, you know? And so, and that's ultimately his, his wife, Princess Isabel, has no romantic interest in him, nor he in her. And she falls for the, the far more captivating and uh, exciting Wallace. Yeah. Mm. There's um, the character, I love the, um, I think his name was Robert de Bruce, one of the nobles. Um, there's a bit of a, he goes on a bit of a journey as well because he's sort of, in some ways he's quasi-initiated but then he, he falls back and then at some point there's a redemptive moment and then he sort of, by the end of the movie, becomes, I guess, the man we would hope he would become. Yeah, what struck me about Robert the Bruce actually was that how much he reminded me of Peter in our Christian story. Yeah, he had a great desire to to lead and and to want to be someone, but he was basically held captive by well, basically the, his decaying father who had you know had leprosy and was sort of pulling the strings of his life. And so only when he was able to finally um, side with Wallace instead of with his father and his ambitions was he able to actually to be free and to be the man he wanted to be, to actually be a, a courageous man in his own right. Um, and there's a very powerful scene where 
you know, basically his father says to him, you know, after he's betrayed Wallace and he's, and like Peter, he comes to himself and he's repentant. His father says to him, don't worry, you know, all men betray, all lose heart. You know? And then Robert the Bruce replies, I don't want to lose heart. I want to believe like Wallace does, <laughs> you know. He sees in Wallace what it means to actually, like the power of courage and how all these, all Scotland gets up to follow him because of his courage where people will fight for the nobles because if they didn't, they get thrown off their land. And so it's actually in seeing the witness of Wallace in his, in his death and his uncompromising, you know, stance versus his father who's compromising and compromised that he actually is able to then rule from that encounter with Wallace and with, yeah, with finally setting himself free from the chains of his father. I wonder whether there's something in there um, for the men in our culture today, including you and I, that in many ways grew up in a very um, anti-masculine or a quasi-wishy-washy sort of masculinity um, that, yeah, is there hope for us? Can we, can we be like Robert de Bruce? Yeah, I think at the heart of, you know, basically to reclaim mas- masculinity, we need to reclaim the foundational virtue of masculinity, which is courage. And I think the reason why, yeah, so many men are lacking in courage these days is because we're afraid of death and we're taught to basically to, yeah, preserve our lives and to, and to not rock the boat and to, yeah, just live a hum, humdinging existence in the suburbs, if you like. But what, Wall- what Wallace tells us and then what ultimately inspires and what he says to Robert the Bruce is that all men die, few really live. So if, if we as men can look at the cross and really square with the reality of our death and, and inevitability of it and then seek something which actually transcends death and we have a purpose, um, we have something worth dying for basically that, we, that makes us live, get, get out of bed every morning then ultimately we, that will help us reclaim a sense of our masculinity, I think, because at the heart of the, the masculine vocation is that call to, to sacrifice for something greater than oneself. Yeah, just bouncing off what you said, I noticed that um, at, the, at the end of the film, you got three kind of characters that simultaneously within you know the same scene, they all die. You've got William Wallace, of course, the main character. Um, you've got Edward Longshanks, the king, and you've got um, Robert de Bruce's father, the, the leper. Um, yes, all men die, but few really live. You know, even though William Wallace's death was death by execution and kind of gory and, and tragic, yet his death was, we just intuitively know as the audience that his death is the type of death we want. Um, even though we're not nobles and we're not kings surrounded by, you know, nobility and riches, it's the death of a man who's willing to give his life for something truly worth dying for that's worth and that's it's just brilliant cinematography classic Mel Gibson um. I think actually in that scene as well you see the illustration of what Wallace talked about in his famous speech at the Battle of Sterling you see a comparison of of a man dying for what he knows to be right versus men dying um, in their deathbeds cold you know as he described in that speech yeah. and so it's a yeah. very visceral comparison right Wow, yeah. that's that just came. Yeah, that's <laughs> brilliant cinema foreshadowing. What's it called? You know, kind of typology. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's brilliant.
If you're enjoying this episode of The Myth Pilgrim, do consider sharing it with your friends so that we can together encounter God veiled in our favourite tales. I'm always open to your feedback and ideas too, so always feel free to contact me on The Myth Pilgrim Facebook page or through the website at themythpilgrim.com. Assuming Christ is the, the archetype, the perfect, you know, the fulfillment of masculinity, how does Wallace, um, what can we learn about Christ and his heart from William Wallace? To illustrate that, I'd share a sh- story that the screenwriter Randall Wallace shared when he was at a rescreening many years after the first release of the movie. This young woman who was about 19 came up to him after afterwards and said, my... My husband is, is or oh, sorry, my fiance is um, was dying of cancer, and he wanted me to watch this movie so I would know how much he loved me, mm. which is just yeah, it's a really touching sort of um, testament to the movie in its capacity to show that basically in the same way that you know Christ, the whole point of his passion really was for him to show us to show his church, to show the world how much he loved us, what, um, what he would go to, that he would not even you know, spare a gruesome and, and bloody death on a cross um, just so he could be with us basically and, and have us um, for all eternity. And so I think it's a testament to the Christological sort of type that, or character of Wallace. And also in relation to that final scene where he's being executed and he turns and and he looks and he sees his, his mates Hamish and the, the mad Irishman and then but then also in the crowd he has a, a vision basically of Murren being there and I think that for me was reminiscent of Christ on the cross where he sees those who were with him to the end were John and, and Mary his mother who, and Mary we know is a type of the church mm. and that she's a new Eve as well so He's basically on the cross. Christ is thinking of his church, um, exemplified in Mary and also in the beloved disciple. And the um, the device in which um, Wallace was sort of strung out and, and tortured was very much, um, you know, cruciform. It was literally oh, yeah. like a cross. So and, and classic Mel Gibson, right? Being a, a, the Catholic writer. Um, yeah, and even the whole passion um, leading up to you know, the abuse that was being hurled at him, the um, the kind of Gethsemane moment inside the prison, you know, yeah, that's all sort of speaks to that, doesn't it? Yes, and there's that prison moment as well is a, where he basically, he's offered that compromise in, in the same way that Christ, in, in a certain sense, is sort of tested in the, the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, but he, yeah, he basically, he says to Princess Isabel, you know, if if I beg for mercy, you know, then everything that I am dies. Um, so he realizes that only by dying can he actually fulfill his mission. And there's something really quite powerful in that, in that, you know, he was this great warrior, but the only way he could actually unite the clans as such and was by dying in the same way that Christ couldn't, the only way he could actually fulfill his promises to the, the Jewish people was by being rejected by them. And, um, and there's a, a similar parallel with Wallace being rejected by 
the Scottish nobles, the very people he was fighting for. You know? mm. Braveheart is still as popular today as it was 30 years ago. Um, what message, like if people were to rewatch this film today, what, what prophetic message could this film be speaking to, um, to our men in particular um, in 2023? I think the first thing that comes to mind there is basically the, the plague of pornography that besieges men from all sides in, um, in yeah, the world today. And why that strikes me as relevant to Braveheart is that, you know, it's basically a story about a man um, fighting to protect his bride um, who has been basically murdered. Mm. And the, the main way that the image of woman, if you like, is being um, murdered today is through pornography. And that is a direct attack on men to seeking to emasculate us and to yeah so that we actually become enemies if you like and that we treat women as the uh the thing to be conquered rather than the thing to be or not the thing other or <laughs> there you go other than people to be protected and and fought for and loved and so I think it's a rallying call really to undergo the martyrdom, as John Paul II called it, the martyrdom of purity, and to, to die to ourselves and to learn self-mastery. And also to be able to speak prophetically into that um, in order to call other men on in that fight as well. And also we are in an age which is increasingly, there's an increasing censorship on, on speech, particularly as Christians, about what you can say and can't say. And that Wallace actually, better than he knows how to use the sword, he's very good with his mouth, with his tongue. You know, he's a, a skilled orator. Mm. And I think it's a call to be articulate as men, to be able to really give good reasons for our faith and for um, doing what is right, to live a life based on principle and to be willing to actually to die for something and not to just give in to the luxuries of of Western society, because I think so many men are waking up to the reality that hedonism is just a pathetic excuse for a worldview and a and a reason to live. That pleasure is, you know, fleeting at best, and that in order to really live, we need to adopt to live a meaningful life. We need to adopt responsibility, and yeah, allow ourselves to be called to a mission which is greater than ourselves. Mm. Maybe as a, as a beautiful way we can finish up this episode is, um, would you like to lead us in a prayer? Um, maybe particularly for, for the men listening, but also for the women as well who may have, um, who may be hurt or um, have had their femininity um, distorted by the, the kind of wounded masculinity that's all around us. Um, so would you like to offer a prayer? Just, um, yeah, lifting these up to the Lord. Lord God, we just come to you now and just all of us here listening and we just give you our, our hearts as man and woman. We offer them to you, Lord, that you would speak into them, speak to us now and, and give us vocation, Lord, and give us a clear mission and call us to imitate your son. And we ask as well that you would just speak into the, any of the lies that we've received about masculinity 
any distortions, Lord, that you would just come and cast that away and that we would see in you the perfect man and that we would know that power is not a dangerous thing in the hands of a good man. And Mother Mary as well, we just commend commend ourselves to you and just ask your, your healing grace on our lives and that you would give us the courage to stand with the cross as you did at Jesus' cross. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.